Hi, it's Jackie, and we're on our fourth, I, I think it's the fourth episode on body image. Some things got in the middle of the way of this series, and I'm a little bit confused at where we are, but I do know that we've been dissecting the not enough messages that we've received about our bodies from both our moms, the media, and our faith communities, and today we're going to hear from God. I mean, what does God have to say to us about our female bodies? And you're going to have to listen to all the way to the end because at the end, I'm going to have an action step that you and I can take to align ourselves with what God is saying. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Well, welcome back. Let me ask you this morning, you got up and you were getting ready to go to work or get the kids off to school or head out to the dentist. Did you look in the mirror? And what'd you think? I know. I know. We are not very kind to ourselves, are we? How many times have you actually looked in a mirror or maybe you're walking down a street, you know, where there's a bunch of shops and you look into the window and you can see a reflection of yourself and you're like a bit shocked because you look a little bit like your mom or your dad or your aunt so-and-so, you know, the way you're walking or how you hunch your shoulders, or maybe when you hear yourself laugh, suddenly you're like, whoa, right? Or it could be a statement you even say to your kids, like, close the door. We don't want to cool the outdoors. You remember your parents always said that, drove you crazy. You swore you'd never say it. And there you are. Yep. Because whether we like it or not, some of who our parents are got passed down to us. We know that to be true. I have long curly hair. So does my two sisters and my brother's daughter and my daughter because curly hair runs in my family. And I got to tell you, when all of us girls go home to visit my mom and we head out on Saturday morning to the farmer's market on Main Street, well, it can actually appear like a wall of hair is coming at you. It's just one of the many attributes that have been passed down in our family. So I want you to think about it. It may not be a wall of hair, but what about your physical body, your personality, your characteristics, abilities, habits? Because remember, when we talk about our bodies, we're talking mind, body, and soul. We're not going to be dualists where we separate them out, right? I keep telling people, you understand your mind is matter and it's inside your body. It's part of your body. So is the soul, right? So we want to keep thinking about it in that complex way. What are some of the things that have been passed down to you, that make identifying who you come from easier, right? Last night I was playing pickleball and this man named Dr. Tom walked up. I only know that because he had a hat on that said Dr. Tom. And he said to me and my daughter Madison, oh, you must be mother-daughter, right? Why? He could see 
some resemblance. Now, you need to hold on to that. The reason I'm stressing that is because it sets us up for something God said about us in our creation story. God said in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, let us, he's talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make humans in our image to be our likeness, male and female. Basically, God is saying that the triune God is going to put a splash of God himself in us. Something that when we see ourselves in a mirror or someone else sees us, they'll know who we are, who God is, where we come from, why we're here. This is the idea behind the word image or image bearer. Also, like, I don't know if you know this, but in ancient Near Eastern uh, world, during this time that Genesis would have been written or spoken, kings were considered divine image bearers, appointed representatives of God on earth. Kings would often place images of themselves, usually statues in distant parts of their kingdom to remind their subjects of their sovereignty, of who they are and what land they were over, Right. Well, Genesis, actually, Genesis 1 is a story that depicts God as a king. And male and female, you and I, as women in our female bodies, are called image bearers. And in it, it picks up on that ancient idea. Basically, you and I are walking statues, if you will, representing God here on earth. Actually, acting like God helping all of creation to flourish, just like God in creation. Yeah, so it wraps that idea of image bearing. It's all wrapped up in that idea. We've been told, and we've bought into this very small, actually bondage kind of narrative about our female body, that we need to be thin and young and sexy, and if we're in the Christian circles, that we need to have a man and a baby. But our creation story doesn't say anything about that. It doesn't talk about our bodies being a size zero or our bust being a 38D. The creation story seems to tell us from the word image bearer that our female bodies are active agents in communicating God on earth. That's a huge concept. Let me say it again. Our female bodies are active agents in communicating God on earth. In other words, there are things about God that God passed down to his kids. We call those uh, communicable attributes. And those attributes are are crucial uh, for creation to flourish, for people to flourish. Um, Our human bodies, for example, enable us to experience knownness, intimacy, relationship, presence, belonging. All of these things we know are crucial for humans to flourish. Just talk about how the pandemic has took some of those things away and what they have done because of it, what it has done to us because of it. Because one of the ways we represent God is we're, we're relational. We were to be known in community, to be present, to belong, to create, to make, to steward. I would use the word work for Stuart, but unfortunately, I think we have too small of a view of what work really is, and that's something we can talk about at another time. And I'm going to break some of this down, communicable agents that communicate who God is on earth later in the next episode. We'll look at like real life way in which that, that 
plays out. But for right now, I just want you to understand theologically what the scriptures are telling us, what God is telling us is your body matters. Your body and everything that it entails matters. And it doesn't matter if it's a size zero or a size 22. It doesn't matter. The female body informs us. It enables us to know and experience ourself and others and God and the created world in which we live and move. I mean, just think about that. It informs us. It enables us to know and experience ourselves and others and God and the world in which we live and move. I mean, our bigs, our bodies are, are really um, important. They matter. In creation, we learn two things about our bodies. First, that they are image bearers, right? That our bodies, all that that encompasses, images God. Genesis 1, 26. And the second thing we learn, another load-bearing wall, if you will, is from Genesis 1, 31, where God says that our bodies, our being is very good, he said. Now, Dorothy Sayers, who I love, highly recommend reading her works. She's a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, and she said, we are known by our work as God is known by his. And in Genesis, God unfolds this process of creation, and he judges his work. And he says over and over and over again in Genesis 1, it is good, it is good, it is good. Because God is very satisfied with his workmanship. It is good. It is good. And then after he makes woman, God says, it is very good. It's the first time God says, very good. What God is letting us know is he's satisfied with his workmanship in you, in your body, in everything that that entails, everything that that encompasses. Now, creation also draws another picture for us. For a moment, I want you to think about all the beautiful places in creation you've ever seen. Just let's pick one. I don't know. Maybe it was a mountain, Grand Canyon, the magnificence of that, or the finessing of a, of a hummingbird, or maybe it was the birth of a baby. I don't know. What, what took your breath away? What in creation was like, whoa, You couldn't capture it with words. You took a picture, could never explain it because it was too profound. It was too beautiful. You know, when we experience something like that in creation, beauty, um, it's crushing, isn't it? It's decentering. And that's because beauty takes us out of ourselves and into something more. It transcends. Yes. Yes, we know that, don't we? And when we see beauty, like a sunset or a bird or a baby, it takes our breath away. And God agrees. He says, it is good. It is good. It is good. And then God turns to you. Yes, you. And says, ah, but this right here, this is very good. He says, your glory is greater than anything that's ever taken your breath away in nature. Think about that. Your glory is greater than anything that's ever taken your breath away in nature. So all of this in Genesis, wrapped around those two very minimal statements, image bearer, very good. They are signposts, if you will, for us to recover the meaning of our female bodies. And so is what Paul said 
in his statement in Ephesians 2.10. You've heard it before. You are God's masterpiece. Now, pause with me for just a moment and think about what a masterpiece really is. Because it is the most outstanding piece of work of a creative artist. It is the most outstanding piece of work. It implies a -a one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-seen-again-in-history. And if that's true, and that's what Ephesians seem to be saying, then I have to accept the fact that my short, curvy 5'2 female frame with a whole lot of curls is God's artistic achievement. That my being an extrovert with spiritual gifts of teaching and exhortation is his outstanding artistry. My personality, my being a challenger on the anagram number eight, and my being born Anglo-Saxon descent displays to the world God's extraordinary skills in design. My talents, my quirks, even my flaws are all God's craftsmanship on exhibit. My embodied self, all of it, is a -a one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-seen-again-in-history image-bearer. That is what God says about me. And it is what God says about you too. Image bearer, very good. Masterpiece. It means I reflect something of God in ways that are unique to me, in ways that you can't, or she can't, or he can't. And that same is true of you. I like how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, each person is created to see a different facet of God's beauty, something that no one else can quite see in quite the same way. And then to bless all worshipers through all of eternity with the aspect of God they could not otherwise see. I like thinking about that. There's something that God has splashed in me that lets the world see something about him that no one else can And that is true of you, too. Masterpiece. I once heard a person say that from birth to death, the human experience, its history, and God's meta-narrative are tied to our bodies. From birth to death, the human experience, its history, and God's meta-narrative are tied to our bodies. Think about it. Our human experience our understanding of ourselves, of others, of God, of this created world in which we live and move, it's, it's tied to our bodies. I think about how I grew up with geranium stained on my hands. It's something about my human experience, about my family, about my work. It's about plants and it's about dirt and it's unique to me. My parents specialized in growing geraniums, all different shades of red and white and pink and purple. Fraser's Greenhouse was one of the largest wholesale growers in the Northeast, and some of you have actually shopped there. We had 60,000 stock plants, which were just large plants, um, which you'd take cuttings from. And over a season, we'd cut approximately 3.5 million cuttings, and then we'd ship them around the United States. And every day we'd race to see who could beat yesterday's account. And, account. and the winner was, uh, it would, you know, would, would, would be like a day where we could cut 400,000. That's a lot of plants. <coughs> One of my jobs was to sit on the benches and with my X-Acto knife, 
take cuttings from those stock plans. And needless to say, my hands, even after I washed them after a long day of work, they were just stained. They were stained from the geranium juice. And many times I'd meet up with my boyfriend, Frank, after work, and he'd comment how dirty my hands were. (laughs) Now, I give him credit. I don't think he was being nasty or critical. I just think he'd never dated a girl who picked crops or plucked flowers. And most girls my age had manicured hands and lovely fingernail polish. No one was walking around with stained geraniums on their hands like me. And I got to tell you, even though it bothered my boyfriend, I kind of liked it. Because growing up in a work, uh, uh, this working farm family, it, it was very formative in my life. And my hands, I know this sounds a little weird, but they spoke to who I was and where I came from and the family I was a part of and even something about the earth. I think it's partly what makes me a masterpiece. God's image bearer. Very good. Yeah, stained hands. Also have stretch marks. That probably isn't unique to me as a woman, who's had babies, anybody who's had babies might have stretch marks, but where they are, how many they are, when they came about, how they came about, all that is unique to my body. And every time I put on underwear, I'm reminded of how my womb grew and my skin stretched beyond anything I could imagine. My stretch marks, they tell a story about me, about my kids, and I think about God. Lillian Barger reminded us that Every one of us has begun our lives and and entered into community in the body of another, sharing in blood and flesh. And that says something about our God, doesn't it? Connectedness, interdependence, oneness. Let me tell you something. It says something about brother and sister relationships too. And it definitely says something about our Jesus. Born of a virgin birth. What does scripture say? He shed his blood. There's a whole lot we'll talk about with Jesus coming incarnate in flesh and blood and what that signifies about the body, but we'll get to that in the next episode. There's a lot wrapped around this idea that every one of us has begun our lives and entered community in the body of another, sharing the blood and flesh, which takes me back to my stretch marks. Every once in a while, when Hunter goes quiet on me because he's the child that goes quiet on me, you know, I'll ask him a question like, how'd work go? Or how are you doing? How are things with your girlfriend? And he goes quiet. And I need him to give me something. I kind of feel like he owes me, you know, like throw me a bone or something. So every once in a while, I'll say, I have stretch marks because of you. You owe me. Kind of grosses him out, but a mother's got to do what a mother's got to do. Yeah, stained hands, stretch marks. And I'm 55 and menopausal. It's kind of interesting because recently, Steve and Madison and I were, were at a, a friend's house, uh, a couple of friends that I have that have been longtime friends in Dallas, and we were all hanging around talking about life during the pandemic, and Steve came up, you know, kind of shared how he had to endure living with a menopausal wife during, menopo- during the pandemic, and I was like, wah, wah, wah. But it was really kind of true. There were a few days that I would get angry for no reason, like how the ice machine would always drop ice on the floor and then I'd have to wipe up the water and I would just lose it. So there was probably some truth to what Steve was saying. (laughs) I had a few days I was feeling a little nutty. 
And so in this conversation, I immediately started apologizing for my hormones, at which my daughter like stopped me midstream because she was not going to have it. She reminded me, Ma, your hormones are one of the reasons boys come out of the womb boys. And she's right. You know, I don't know if you know this, but women have a hormone wash in their womb, and it's one of the factors that determine whether a child will be a female or a male. So yeah, they're here because of my hormones. And I actually knew this information, but I had never had it put that way, and it stopped me dead in my tracks. Yeah, my menopausal body has something to say about the human experience about my own personal experience, about the female body, about interdependence, and I believe about God. That's all part of image bearing. That's all part of being very good. That's all part of being a masterpiece. Barger is also right when she says our bodies inform us every day, not only of our place in the world, but about what we need from our life to flourish. How we view the body and our body and, and, and our own body ends up directly affecting what type of spirituality we will embrace and how will we see our relationship to the divine. The current formulation of how to view the body, especially the woman's body, is related to spirituality that has set us up to be disembodied, to be disembodied women, disembodied spiritually. Often, living in a female body is painful and shameful. It can be a painful and shameful place to reside. My daughter was asking me to reconsider how I was speaking about my female body. And ultimately, whether she intended to or not, and I don't think she did, she was asking me to consider how I speak about my God. And I needed that. I needed to be challenged to reshape the story about my God. And I wonder, what if we did that for each other? Often, more often, you know, reminded each other that our bodies matter, that our bodies image who God is, that they are very good, and that they are masterpieces. I remember sitting in Boston with my son Hampton during grad school, and he was at his house with a bunch of roommates and friends and we were having this conversation, and one of the young women in the room commented about how she hated her fat hands, is what she said. And I don't know what got into me, but I just blurted out, well, how about if I just cut them off for you? That's what I said. I mean, it was, I think, the second time I'd ever met her, so the room got a little quiet. And I was like, no, I mean, seriously, what if I just cut them off? Would you care anymore how fat they were? And she looked at me and went, uh, no. I said, well, why not? Let's talk about why not. And when we proceeded to have this long conversation about the female body. What if we did that for each other? What if we watched our words and committed to no more body shaming, comparing, or competing with one another? What if we chose to speak well of our bodies? What if we chose to speak so well, so often, for so long, that together we actually started to change the not enough narrative? I believe it can be done. In our previous podcast on body image, I quoted from Susan Brown Miller's book, Femininity, 
where she observed that a, a highly sensualized version of the female body is used in the public square media. In other words, the normal functions of various parts of the woman's anatomy are hidden under the weight of their potential sexiness. And if you remember, I talked about eyelashes as an example, right? Men and women have eyelashes for the good purpose of keeping harmful particles of dirt or small bugs out of the eye, right? That's what they're for. But for women now, eyelashes have become this site of sexual appeal. They need to be long and thick and rich and full and dark and any other number of words our cosmetic industrial products tell us they need to be. Legs would be another example. Right? We have legs for the primary pers- purpose of getting us around. And now female legs are centralized. centralized. They have to be long, tan, and toned, and youthful. I probably should add youthful. And I'm mindful of that African woman who got herself to Central Africa and walked hundreds of miles while she was pregnant to get to safety in America. And when she saw my daughter's legs, she was so impressed Because they were legs that could walk her to safety, just like this woman. Now, that kind of thinking will change our perspective, won't it? What if we could do that? Shift how we see our bodies, how we talk about our bodies. Shift how God sees our, shift to how God sees our female bodies. Because what he says is image bearer, very good, marvelous masterpiece. And shouldn't we expect our faith communities to be teaching that bigger and better story too? Don't we need a faith that honors the female body for being more than just thin, young, and sexy, and married with babies? Is that as good as we can do? In an earlier podcast, I mentioned that there are several scriptures we're here taught in, in the church when it comes to our bodies. Our bodies are a temple that's usually tied to sexual purity. Don't make a brother stumble. That's usually dressed to... Uh, tied to our dress. And to most of us, if we grew up in the church, we probably memorized as little children in Sunday school, Psalm 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of you had beautiful, loving Christian parents, and they said that to you all the time. By the way, not all Christian parents are loving, just a side note. And I'd like to dig into that passage, Psalm 139, just a little bit to enhance just a little more this idea of image bearer, very good, masterpiece. And I know, about now you want to turn off this podcast because you think you have heard everything there is to hear about Psalm 139. But if that's true, then I have to ask you, did you stand in front of a mirror today, buck naked, and look at your body naked and say, whoa, check me out? Because if you didn't, then you haven't truly heard or understood what David was saying about your body in Psalm 139, verse 14. So let me help you just a little bit. Hang in there because we are going to get to an action step. David starts the psalm by, O Lord, all capital letters. I have to stop here because, O Lord, all capital letters is really significant. It's the name of God that God called himself when he met Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3.14. God told Moses, go get my people out of Egypt, and that's not an easy feat. So he says, Pharaoh was the most powerful guy in the world, and I want you to go in and take his whole labor force away. And the Israelites, remember, they aren't very excited about my leadership, so who do I say sent me? And that's when God says, in all capital letters, I am. 
in the New Testament, it's translated, O Lord, all capital letters. Now, that's not very helpful. Theologians have written thousands of volumes about the meaning of this name, its essence, you know? And if I had to summarize it, which, hey, even great theologians can't in, in, less, in a few sentences, but I'm going to try. I think what God is trying to say is, I am that I am. I am and always have been. I am creator. I cause. I am self-existent and I am self-sufficient. I am eternal king. So here is this idea of God being really, really big. And of course, again, back to this idea of him being king and us being image bearers. And David starts with this, I am, O Lord, all caps. He starts with the I am, and then for the next 12 verses, he talks about all the omnis, not the hotel. He says God is omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent, I mean, he's present everywhere. Remember I said there were communicable attributes, like relationality and knownness and belonging, and, and right? And then there are some things that God didn't pass down to us, like being all-knowing and all-powerful. And David is, is, is pondering these things. And in the middle of it, he's blown away by who God is. And he says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. And I want to stop there. Because I wonder if this is where we begin. With God. Not with our mothers or media or even our faith communities telling us the worth of our body. But God. If God is our creator, not man, then only he has the right and the authority to divine to find the worth of our female bodies. And what did God say about our bodies? Uh, you're getting it. Image-bearing, very good masterpiece. Now, I know, I know when we look at ourselves, our inner life and our our outer body, we tend to be critical. We see flaws. We see weakness. We see flab. But I, I think God loves what he sees. I mean, he made it after all. It's not like God's going, geez, I really messed up with her large nose or her dark skin or her family origin or her abilities. I mean, come on. He made it. He made us. Scripture says not only does he love us, he likes us. I like to think about Zephaniah 3.17. It says that God sings songs over us. Think about that. Sing songs over us. And that his love, how he thinks, feels, and engages us, his love will quiet us. And I wonder how settled we would be if we could just simply breathe that truth in. Like not just intellectually, but actually ask the Holy Spirit to let us experience that. Now in verse 13, God does an amazing, or David does an amazing thing. Up to this point, he's been celebrating God. And when I think about David pondering these lofty things, I picture him as this Middle Eastern kid standing at about 5'2", because that was the average height of a Jewish man back then. By the way, that's also my height, so it's very helpful for me to understand. We've got no proof that Jesus was 5'2", but it's likely and I'm thinking he also had wild curly hair because I've been to Israel and lots of people in Israel have curly hair and I've got no proof of that, but I think it's possible. David's 5'2 with curly hair. He's a shepherd boy lying out under the stars, just reflecting about God through creation, the beauty that he sees around him. We've done this, right? And David wrote the Psalms about his ponderings. Psalm 
like 89.5 that says, The heavens praise your wonder, O Lord. In Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the works of your hands. We're very used to hearing David linking the glory of God, his beauty, his character, and his infinite worth with the sky and the heavens and the stars, with nature. But in verse 13 and 14, David does something different. He turns his eyes toward himself. That means his body his personality, all that makes him who he is. And yes, even his quirky, weird parts. And when I say that, I'm not giving you permission to walk around and just go, oh, well, that's just how I am. You know, we don't get to dominate others in the boardroom or slander someone because that's just how we roll. And I know that because Jesus doesn't do that. So what I'm saying is that we are to be unapologetically who we are, controlled by the Spirit. So when David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, he's saying basically, whoa, check me out. I mean, there he is, naked in front of the mirror, liking everything about him. Now remember I asked you to picture the most beautiful place in creation you've ever been, you've ever seen. And to consider how it decentered you. Because beauty does that, right? It decenters and transcends. And you have experienced the marvel of that. And God says, it's true. What you saw is really good. But you, you, my dear one, are very good. Of all of creation, you are the one that images me. Of all of creation, you are the walking statue of the creator. Why is it that it is so easy for us to look at all of creation and give credit and praise and be in awe, but we can't look at our body in the mirror and do the same? It should tell us there's something off. There's something very off here. Our understanding of our bodies and all that that encompasses is deeply misunderstood, misused, definitely maligned. There's more to say about our body and why our bodies matter, and we'll get to that. But for now, I want to leave you with an exercise. Remember I said I was going to ask you to do an action, to put it into action, right? We got to think things and do things. And this is an exercise I have women do in the I'm Enough Masterclass. And in that masterclass, we have a a mini course on body image, and you can feel free to check it out. It's on my website, themarcellaproject.com. And one of the exercises we have you do, and I bet you can guess, that's right, stand in front of the mirror, buck naked, and thank the Lord for each body part. No degrading yourself or apologizing or looking away. Just simply go through each part of your body and tell Jesus why you are grateful for it. Lord, thank you for my arms because they allow me to hug those I love dearest. Lord, thank you for my saggy breasts. They allowed me to nurse my children, to literally give them sustenance to live. Go ahead. Do it. Commit to doing that exercise often, over and over again. It takes time to change our thinking 
And this action can help us reshape the narrative about our female bodies. So I'm going to close with this very simple prayer for you and for me. It's by this old, great Danish philosopher and theologian, Kierkegaard, and this is it. And now, Lord, with your help, I shall become myself. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.